Okay, let's just pray for a moment and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help me, because there's a number of things I want to do today, and I'm not sure how to do them, so you'll understand later, but let's see what happens, eh? Are you ex- excited? I mean, God's here, isn't he? I mean, it's wonderful. It's great to be in God's presence. So, Father, we just want to say, you're in charge. Uh, you send the Holy Spirit. And you can do whatever you want to do, Father. We just love being in your presence. We love it when you touch us, when you speak to us, when you move amongst us. So, Lord, come and have your way. Come and be glorified. Lord, would you anoint me as I speak, and would you anoint us as we listen? Father, we want our lives to be changed by the word of God. That's our expectation. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm continuing today with our gifts to go series. This is the last but one week, so next week will be the final week. And uh, today I want to talk about building up the church. Uh, Last week, Becky talked about love being the motivation for using spiritual gifts. It's not about putting on a show or, or looking to please ourselves. Spiritual gifts are given so that we can build up the church and encourage people. Uh, so, All that's required then is a love for people, and you can use spiritual gifts. So do you love people? Great, so you can use spiritual gifts. And then a couple of weeks ago, from the first part of 1 Corinthians 14, I was talking about how the church is like a training ground for us, and here we get to practice using spiritual gifts on one another. And as we saw, it doesn't need to be weird, but it does need to be clear, and we need to think about what we do and say. Now this week I want to take you to the second half of 1 Corinthians 14. And Paul gets really practical here. And he talks about using spiritual gifts in the context of worship and how they must be used to strengthen the church. So church isn't just a training ground. It's a beneficiary of spiritual gifts too. So how many people here know that coming to church is meant to strengthen you? That it's meant to be a good place to be. It's meant to be encouraging. Uh, It's it's meant to do you good when we gather together as church. Uh, You're not meant to feel depressed uh, after church or disheartened or I'm never going again. No, we're meant to be built up and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. So a healthy church on a Sunday should strengthen us for Monday. That's what I believe. Uh, so otherwise, how can we how can we be expected to go on mission for Jesus? We need a good base to go out from, and we need a good place to bring people back to as well. So anybody need any encouragement today? Uh, anybody need any direction? Anybody need any healing? Anybody need any of these things? Anybody need strengthening? Yeah. You've come to the right place. That's what the church is for, and that's what I want to talk about uh, today. So we're going to work through 1 Corinthians 14 verses 26 to 33, 33 to 40, starting then in verse 26. And here it goes, what shall we say then brothers and sisters? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation, and all these things must be done for the strengthening of the church. And so immediately in this discussion on spiritual gifts, it's practical outworking, we see what a spiritually gifted church is meant to look like. A place where everyone has a part to play. 
a place where everyone has something to offer because it's not just the job of the leaders to build up and strengthen the church. We've all got a part to play. And for me, it's a bit like going to a church meal, you know, with those bring and share meals. Have you ever experienced something like that? But there's, there's, there's all these different goods that people bring, all these different goodies. There's quiche. In any Christian meal, there's got to be quiche in the name of Jesus. Um, but it's, the idea is, is that everybody brings something to share, something great, something small. It all adds to the meal. Although if it's anything like the barbecue we had last year when everybody brought stuff, did you, I mean, have you found this that the best bits of meat go first and it's the horrible cheap economy sausages that get left over afterwards? But that's the idea that as we come together, we've all got something to bring. And the expectation is that in any gathering of the church, the Holy Spirit is dynamically present to equip and inspire different individuals in their gifts in the service of others. Just as he determines, it says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11, at any given time. So I don't think when Paul says everyone has that... Mean, when he says that, that he means that when we come together, we literally, everybody must. Not everybody has necessarily, everybody must. Uh, but, I mean, can you imagine the chaos of that? If that was the rule, everybody has and everybody must, and we've got to provide space for that. That, that just wouldn't work. Can you imagine the chaos? But everybody has the potential to bring something to add to this feast called church. I mean, did you know that sitting here amongst us are people with incredible potential? Did you know that you have incredible potential as a child of God? Incredible. You know, because of you, somebody could get strengthened today. Because of you and your contribution, the way that you pray, the way that you say, the way that you are, somebody's going to get built up today. Somebody's going to get direction today. Somebody's going to get love today. We've got incredible potential, Jubilee, to do that for one another. And guess what? We can even take it to work on Monday. Incredible potential for good amongst us. Is that your expectation? Is that your expectation? You are an incredible gift to this church, to the world. And any of us can be picked by the Holy Spirit for service. I mean, the only limitation seems to be our willingness to be used. I mean, sometimes we're just not available. Do you know what I mean? I get like this sometimes, especially when I go to some of these bigger meetings. I feel a little bit intimidated. And so I've just got this Holy Spirit, I'm not here sign that I put up. And I just keep quiet and I hide behind the sign. But, you know, it happens every Sunday. I see it. There's people that sat there amongst us, and they've got the not here sign up. No, I'm not here. I'm not engaging. And so every now and again, because I'm a little bit mischievous, I like to just go up and tap people and say, hey, I think the Holy Spirit's trying to speak to you. I think you might have a prophetic word for us to share today. Or you might have a tongue or an interpretation or something like that. And it's amazing how many times when I do that, People will say afterwards, oh, I was a bit miffed with you for that. But thank you, because you were right. I don't know how you knew, but I did. God was trying to say something to me. So permission to do that, is that okay? Um, that we as leaders, we want 
the church to be free to contribute. We want to release you. We want to serve you in that way. And we want to encourage you to bring what God has put in you. Because we believe that people have got incredible potential uh, in the church. You see, Paul doesn't envisage a church where everything is led from the front or it's based around the gifts of one or two people. But everyone can have a song. Everyone can have a passage from the Bible, a word of God, a word from God, a tongue or an interpretation. Not that we all have to do this from the front uh, or even on a Sunday morning. These moments can happen when we meet together in smaller places, in life groups perhaps, or drinking coffee in one another's houses, or smaller prayer meetings, or even in elders' meetings. (laughs) Even. You know, the Holy Spirit turned up at our elders' meeting this week. Isn't that kind of him? (laughs) Is it okay to tell this? It is, isn't it? So, yeah, you. Well, come on then. You'll have to come and stand close to me. Oh, that's all right. All right, so tell us what happened in the elders' meeting this week, Paul. So we just finished praying together, and Steve Wicking turned to me and said, how are your toes? And I said, why are you asking me about my toes? How do you know that I've got painful toes? And I've had a problem with the tendons in each big toe for the last four or five years, maybe maybe more thousands of years, according to my wife. (laughs) And so Steve prayed for my toes. He then said, okay, this is going to be weird, but I think I've got to do this. He then washed my feet. It was weird. He was right. Um, (laughs) My big toe on my right foot has not been painful since. Completely healed. The left is not quite there yet, but no reason why not. Well, Jesus, do that, please. Sort that out. Amen. So what's your expectation as you get together with other believers and you have a coffee with somebody in the week? God's going to turn up. Stuff's going to happen. Whichever context, I want to encourage you to grow in your expectation of God using you to help and encourage one another. And especially in making every Sunday a feast day at Jubilee. Wouldn't that be amazing? You go away thinking, we've just had such a feast today. We already have, haven't we? I mean, just the presence of God in worship. That's just amazing. So you up for that, church? So I want some interaction today. I hope... It's not that I'm insecure or anything. I just feel like the Holy Spirit is on this. Are you up for this? Every Sunday, a feast day. Every time we meet together, there's stuff to give away. There's stuff to encourage one another with and build one another up with. So let me ask you some questions then. And maybe you want to turn to the person next to you and answer some of these questions. Uh, But first of all then, Oh, no, let's just do it by hands. It'll be quicker. How many people came today with a song in their heart? You know, you get that earworm thing where you just got this song going around. How many people came with a song? Yeah? Uh, did we actually sing it in the worship? We did. Yeah. Several people here that we actually sang it in the worship. So how many people here had a prophecy but wasn't able to bring it or didn't? Didn't bring it today. This isn't meant to condemn or shame or anything like that. It's just to encourage. Yes, it's quite a number of people here that had prophetic words. And some people have shared it with us at the front. We weren't able to fit everything in. Or how many people here came with a passage from the Bible? There you go. A number of people here just came with a passage on their hearts. Um, or or uh, when people were singing in tongues a bit earlier, how many people felt like there was interpretations to bring? Yeah, come on, this is good. So already, as we've met together, there's been an outpouring of gifts amongst us. And we haven't all brought them, but that's okay. 
when we come together, it's like these rivers coming together and it, and it just percolates and stuff comes up. That's what it's meant to be. That's what church is meant to be like. And Paul says that all these things must be done for the strengthening of the church, but not all at once. Because although everybody has, not everybody has to. (laughs) There's an orderly use of the gifts that make them the most beneficial to us. Which is why Paul then goes on to talk about the gifts of tongues, which is the gifts of languages. They can be supernatural languages, or they can be languages that we've not learned. The gifts of languages. If you meet Surpraiser in a couple of weeks, you'll find that God has given him eight different languages that are earthly languages that he now communicates with. 17 now, is it? 17 languages so that he speaks English, but he got that language supernaturally when he went for an interview to Bible college in England and he realizes he got there that he didn't speak English. So how am I going to communicate in this interview? And God just gives him the language as he opens his mouth, he starts to speak in English. So gifts of languages is a good thing. I want some of that. Anybody here? Wouldn't that be great to have some of that? Maybe we'll get him to pray for us. So uh, the orderly use of tongues, it says here in verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. And if there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. So what Paul is dealing with here, you remember from a few weeks ago, is this Corinthian obsession with uncontrollable ecstasies in the use of the gift of tongues. I don't think we have that problem here, but we can learn some stuff from this. Paul says that we can all exercise self-control in using this gift and be considerate to people around us. So he encourages us to use tongues in an orderly way, two or three in a row, two or three in a row, And they must be interpreted, otherwise they won't strengthen the church. Why? Because we won't understand what's being said, and it will lead visitors especially to think that we're out of our minds. They might think that anyway for other reasons, but there you go. If there's no interpreter, Paul says, it's best for the speaker to stop using the gift publicly, but he says you're free to continue using it privately and speaking to God, not because your tongue is wrong, And that you better keep quiet because you're being disciplined, as I once thought. I used to think that's what that meant. But simply because an uninterpreted public tongue doesn't help the church, that's all. So just keep it quietly, just keep praying in tongues, that's fine um, if there's no interpreter. So anybody ever worried that if I bring a tongue it won't get interpreted and then I'll be wrong? Yeah? Yeah? Anybody? I just break that off you now in Jesus' name and set you free. There's nothing to worry about there. That's not what the Bible says. Um, I want to break the fear of not bringing a tongue just in case it's wrong. Um, And when someone brings a public tongue, Paul says, they should speak one at a time, not all at once, so that each one may be interpreted. And some people have taken that to mean that it's wrong for the whole church to speak out or sing in tongues all together. But that's not what he's talking about. Because those, are the, those kinds of tongues don't need to be interpreted. Because when this happens, when the whole church speaks out in tongues or prays out or, or uh, sings out in tongues, it's just simply that everyone's speaking to God at the same time. And so in that moment, the whole church is using the gift of tongues individually to build up the church corporately. And there, there are moments, aren't there, when we've often encouraged people to do this, especially 
in times of corporate prayer. You know, when you've got a difficult pastoral situation, you don't know how to pray church, come on, let's pray. Let's just speak out in tongues like that. Or in a moment of warfare, when there's just a moment where we've got to come together and, and take authority, or simply to shift an atmosphere. I mean, how many people know that sometimes Sunday morning can have a bit of a spiritual thug over the meeting? And one of the things to do is say, okay, we're going to pray in tongues. We're not having this. Let's, let's shift this and let's break through. So Paul says in verse 39, don't forbid speaking in tongues, but use them in an orderly way. No more than two or three in a row. And, but that's incredibly rare for us, isn't it? I mean, we, we, kind of have one tongue and then everybody goes really quiet. We're all waiting for the interpretation, nervously wondering if anybody's going to do it. And that's because we're so well taught, we know that a tongue's got to be interpreted. But actually this isn't necessary to do. If you consider what Paul is saying, it seems to me that there could be a lot more than we currently experience. Two or three tongues in a row. How about that? Wouldn't that be good? You're looking a little bit suspicious of me here. I'm just reading what the Bible says. Um, and we're free to bring another tongue after a tongue. There's multiple tongues and there's multiple interpretations. So I would say because there's multiple tongues, there's also room for multiple interpretations. For a message or a series of messages in tongues. And, there can be, and the reason for this is that there can even be several languages to interpret. It's not just one, there's multiple languages. You you can even hear it sometimes when somebody speaks in a tongue and another person does it, there's a different language being used. We had a vivid example of this a few years ago here. Steve Wicking brought a message in tongues and there was an Asian lady amongst us who understood in her own two languages and a home dialect what was being said. How cool is that? So, but I was understandably a little bit nervous because I was the one that brought the interpretation. I said, oh, how did I do then? She said, well, <laughs> it was an approximation. It was the spirit of it. But there probably could have been more interpretations. There were two languages and a dialect there, and I probably interpreted one of them. So how about that? So let me release you from the fear that a second interpretation is bringing correction to the first. Because yeah. <laughs> that's why we don't do everything, oh, that's because I got it wrong. I and mean, how many people think that? I have. That's not what this is about. There are multiple languages. There are multiple interpretations. So pray for the gift of interpretation and then use it because it builds up the church. Who would like the gift of interpretation? Come on, just stand up. Let's just pray for you a moment. I told you there's going to be participation today. So if you're visiting and you're not used to that, I'm sorry. But this is just this is just fun. All right. Let's just put your hands up. If you're not standing up, just put your hands on people because I'm presuming you've already got the gift of interpretation. <laughs> uh, I told you I'm in a mischievous mood today. All right, has everybody got a hand on somebody? Holy Spirit, just release now in Jesus' name the gift of interpretation of tongues, interpretation of dreams, interpretation of pictures. We release the gift of interpretation amongst us in Jesus' name. Father, we ask you for that gift 
in Jesus' name, so that the church can be strengthened and built up through tongues and other gifts in Jesus' name. Now just say thank you. If you're given a gift, you just say thank you, Lord, I just receive that in Jesus' name. And maybe we'll do a bit more activation later on and you have an opportunity to try that out. Okay, please do take a seat. So another point regarding interpretation is, the, is about the kind of interpretation we would expect to be brought. Um, there has been some confusion about this over the years in some charismatic churches. What tends to happen after a tongue is brought is that somebody prophesies instead of bringing an interpretation. That means they, come, they speak as if from God rather than to God. Uh, and in my view, the Bible is quite clear from several places that a message in tongues is spoken to God, not from God. So Paul says in verses 2 and 3, For anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands me utters mysteries with his spirit, verse 3, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. And so we would expect an interpretation to be one which is in the form of a prayer, or declares praises to God. That's what was heard on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, uh, which also reveals, by the way, how we step out in this gift. How do we step out in the gift of interpretation? When a tongue is brought, that's the moment the Holy Spirit's saying, okay, who's going to bring it? Who wants to bring it? Anybody? Anybody? Not here. (laughs) Not here. I'm not here. I'm not here. Okay, he's here. I'll use him. I'll use her. That's how it is. That's exactly how it is. So when a tongue is brought, that's when we need to ask for the gift of interpretation. Okay? Does that sound good? Pick me. Donkey. (laughs) That's a Shrek moment there. So, okay, I'm going to bring a tongue now. I'm going to just speak out in tongues for a bit. And... And I'm going to, are you okay with this? I'm going to speak out in tongues, and then I don't want people to bring long interpretations. It's going to be a very short tongue. But after I brought, while I'm bringing the tongue, ask God for the interpretation. Please ask him for the interpretation. (laughs) Don't leave me hanging, all right? I'm going to speak out in tongues for a moment, and then I'm going to ask two or three people, just just put your hands up and say, this is what I felt, this is what I heard, or this is what I saw. Okay, just think like that. Just think simply how to interpret the tongue. So here we go. You ready? Amen. So just put your hand up if you've got something. It doesn't have to be the whole thing. It can be part of it. Just going around the room now. Let's have some more. Anybody else just feeling something? Okay, I want three people now just to volunteer quickly to just say what you felt, what you heard, what you saw. Stand up quickly. Vicky? I saw you go through a forest and there's a path in front of you and it's all very frightening, scary, but God always takes you and he knows, he knows your path and he takes you through it. Okay, that's prophecy, isn't it, don't you think? Maybe. So, uh, anybody else? Yeah. Mark? Right. I'm ready for battle. Okay, I was feeling that as I was saying that. Anybody else? Darren? Yeah, I agree with that. <coughs> you felt similar? It felt like a warfare thing. Like you was, you was 
something. Uh, yeah. yeah. One more. Ange? The greatness of God. It's interesting because this, these interpretations are similar to what Vicky brought, which was more the prophetic side of the interpretation. And this is what often happens, is that the gift of tongues, a supernatural gift, unlocks prophecy. It unlocks it unlocks the prophetic, and those that are particularly prophetic, they will tend to get a prophetic word when they hear a tongue. And that's okay. We just hold that back for a bit so that we allow the interpretation, but then you can almost be certain that somebody's going to have a prophecy after that, which is why Paul then talks about prophecy. He talks about tongues, and then he talks about the orderly use of prophecy. And I'm going to talk a lot more about prophecy next week, but I'm just going to start the conversation today. So verse 29 to 33, it says, Two or three prophets should speak, and others should weigh carefully what is being said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a a God of disorder, but of peace. And so this is Paul's order, only two or three and then weigh what's being said. Think about it, discern what God is saying. Oh, wouldn't that be great to have this problem? <laughs> I, I, I think it would. Wouldn't it be great if we've got so many people got prophetic words? So I just met with some of the guys from Russia. You know, we were out there in November. And they said, oh, my goodness, since you guys came, we can't stop them prophesying. I said, well, you do know it says two or three at once. He says, yeah, we're doing that. But then you get another two or three. We get two or three, and then we weigh, and then two or three, and then we get more. And we've got queues of people at both sides who are wanting to prophesy and encourage, build up, and strengthen the church. Wonderful. What a wonderful problem to have. Have some of that. Have some of that jubilee. When we come together, everyone has. And then we've got a real problem with who's going to use the microphone and when. I love that. Only two or three. And also in verse 30, Paul seems to be saying, which is probably another level that we'd need to understand. He says, I don't want two or more people dominating this gift. I'm wanting a humble spirit which gives way and prefers others. So, Allowing contributions to flow through the whole body, he wants people to take it in turn. So imagine I'm prophesying, I'm going on a bit, you know, it can happen sometimes. <laughs> Somebody else has got a prophetic word and we just say, okay, I'll give way to you. And then I'll give way to you. Because we want to be submissive to one another. And he tells us that contrary to how it can feel sometimes when you have a prophecy, you won't burst if you don't bring it. You know, God isn't going to allow the church to miss out because you've not been able to bring your word. I mean, um, now the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet and you're permitted to exercise self-control or even decide, actually, no, I'm not going to bring this at the moment. I want to allow somebody else to bring it. Obviously, if you never prophesy and you always say that, that might be a bit of a problem. But if you, you prophesy fairly regularly, just thought, no, I want to just give some space to allow a few other people to come through. That's good. That's a good thing to do. I often find that I carry a word around with me for quite a long time, and then I get to release it. God just says to me, now bring it, or bring it another time, or bring it in a different context, 
or I'll hold back a prophetic word just because I want other people to prophesy. I want other people to have the, the opportunity to do that. Now, of course, uh, the New Testament, with the New Testament gift of prophecy, it's quite wrong to think that we're just uninvolved channels for God to speak through, um, like we're some kind of Christian mediums. And, uh, and so we end up speaking in this strange ethereal voice or some kind of voice that we imagine God might have. Thus saith the Lord. Something like that. Um, we don't channel God's words. We're like we're robots or, mus- or machines. He uses us. He uses you. He uses your personality, your creativity, your brain, your experience. He's given you a prophetic word because he wants to use the word in a, in a, in a shape like you are. Is that exciting? That's why it's you. That's why the Holy Spirit goes around and says, oh, I want him today. I want her. I want that shape today. I want that feel to it. Uh, he wants us to use our own particular style. Hey, I've got new shoes on. You know, this is style. Um, he wants us to use our own particular style and personality when we communicate with the body of Christ. Uh, which, of course, means that our contributions should be and can be quite different and varied depending on the personality. So I have a friend called Johnny Meller who uh, is a part of Church Central, and he will sometimes prophes- prophesy in rhyme or with rhyme. Sometimes he'll sing it or oftentimes he'll rap it because he's a rapper. That's what he does. He's done that professionally. He will rap prophetic words. And it is so cool when he does it. Anybody fancy that gift? I would, that, that would just be... Yes, please, Holy Spirit. Yes, you can have that. Oh. Um, and I've got another friend called Catherine. She's an artist. So how God speaks to her is through painting. So in the worship, she'll often get her easel out and she'll get words from God and she'll paint them. And they're really powerful. They're beautiful to look at. So God uses you. He uses your shape, your personality. I just want to release, Jubilee, a spirit of creativity in the prophetic. In Jesus' name, Lord, we don't want the same old. We don't want it, it's all going to look like this. Father, we ask you for variety and creativity in the prophetic in this church, in Jesus' name. Okay, just a couple of words about weighing prophecy. That's sort of verse 29. Paul says that two or three speak and then it has to be weighed. That means to evaluate what's being said, to think about it, to see how it measures up with what the Bible teaches, its context and its meaning. And sometimes it's just a matter of timing. Other times it's just a matter of interpretation. Sometimes it's just about relevance to that meeting or to that person. So this is one of the reasons why we try to help you before you bring a prophetic word is we want to try and weigh it before you bring it so you can bring it confidently. And sometimes we say, do you know what? I'm not sure if it's for now. And, and sometimes you'll say that. So Tim brought a word. He says, I've got this word, but I don't think it's for now. I said, yeah, it probably isn't, but it's a really good word. But that's what we want. We want to have that ability to help one another, to provide security for one another, so that when we prophesy, we can do it confidently. Um, but look, we, we get hung up on this, um, this whole idea of weighing. I just want to point out something really simple, but it says here that weighing is the job of others, not you, not me. 
You know, how, how often of us have been stopped from prophesying by our own weighing? I've got this word, but I don't think it's right. Who do you, how, how do you know that? Who are you to say that? Um, it's the job of others to weigh prophesy, prophecy, which, which means presumably the rest of the church, and in particular those who have responsibility for the rest of the church, which is the elders. Uh, but even after a contribution is bought, we, uh, when we help to weigh words, we will look around for the response of the church. And sometimes we'll confer with one another, even as we're leading meetings together. Uh, but always, at, at least after a couple of prophetic contributions, we look to sum up the essence of what God is saying or underline particular themes that are coming through. But it's not a memory test. Can I just plea with, plead with you? It's not a memory test. I don't always remember everything that's been said. And quite often when you're hosting, people will be coming up and talking to you and somebody's prophesying and I can't hear it all, and which is why we're moving towards two people hosting at the same time. It just helps with that. It helps with weighing and communicating. But sometimes people will get upset or get worried because we haven't referred to their prophecy uh, in the summing up at the end, so you think, oh, well, that was rubbish then, wasn't it? No, it's just that I'm really poor at remembering detail, so that's all it is. Um, but weighing can be done more informally too. So in our life groups, talking through what's been said or what we're feeling, having prophetic conversations, we often do that in, in groups that we meet with. So if we meet with our life group leaders or we meet with a um, any kind of leaders in the church, kids work leaders or whatever, we'll often say, what do you feel God is saying at the moment to the church? And we'll talk about it. We'll have what we call prophetic conversations. So some words about bringing prophecy. I, I think in our desire to get things right, whatever that means, we can get a little too self-conscious sometimes in the way that we bring prophecy. And so I want to take some of the pressure off So, for example, we can get caught in the trap of trying so hard to explain what we think God might be saying that we actually lose what God is actually saying. Um, And we just need to keep it simple and say it. So this is what God's saying to me. Um, It's up to you guys now. (laughs) Um, and, And especially with pictures, you know, we can spend so much time, particularly those that are more pictorial, spend so much time describing the picture um, that we end up trying to prophesy the picture rather than the message God is giving us through the picture. So we need to prophesy the message, not the picture. So that means I've got this picture, and this is what God says. I've got this picture, and I think it means this. And just to keep it simple, uh, Ginny Burgin, who's a prophet uh, from Sheffield, said on one occasion when she was here, the picture is not the prophecy, but the means by which we get the prophecy or even the way in which God gets our attention. That's what pictures are for. So in summary, I think many of us need to simplify what we say, just speak out what we believe God is saying, and leave others to weigh, to pick up what God is saying, or even to put put it together in in a message. And, And Paul tells us we see in part and we prophesy in part, so why do we try and do the whole job? You know, bring your part of the meal, and sometimes it's just the bread, and let others add to it, and perhaps we might even get a whole sandwich. That's what we're after. So I want to release you from the feeling that I've got to bring this great and weighty word every week, 
when God is actually saying, I love you and you're fantastic, and that's all he wants to say today. Don't worry if that's all you've got. Um, that's great what Ruth brought earlier, wasn't it? Just shortened to the point. So let me give you a couple of examples here. Um, I'm aware, especially at the beginning of the meeting, uh, the Holy Spirit is very often speaking words of comfort, words of reassurance and love. So the kind of prophecies that often come at the beginning of meetings have got that flavor about them. And they can be quite short, really. And sometimes the host does it, just in the way that we welcome people. Uh, you're so welcome here today. I love you. God loves you. And I'm pleased with you. That's the prophecy. His presence is here. He wants to meet with you. He couldn't wait for you to get here this morning. There's such a sense of expectation. That's what was brought this morning, wasn't it? As the host brought that to us. That was prophetic. Um, Later on in the meeting, it seems that God is often encouraging us to come closer. Did that happen this morning? It did, didn't it? Got to that point. He says, come a bit closer. I want to heal you. I want to set you free. I I want to encourage you. Be healed and be touched. And very few contributions are need to be more substantial than that. Because God is so much simpler than we are when he ministers to us. So I just want to take the pressure off a bit in the prophetic. Don't feel like you've got to come up with a sermon every time you prophesy. There are places for sermons and there are places for just bringing words to encourage the church. So this is what we're going for, a kind of orderly spontaneity when everyone is able to contribute to this feast of spiritual gifts as we come together. Orderly tongues with powerful and confident interpretations. Lots of prophesying in beautiful simplicity. We want to give lots of room for hearing and encouraging God in our meetings. Lives will be changed by it, and we'll certainly be encouraged. Um, So let me close with Paul's words at the end of the chapter. He says in verse 39, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Eager to prophesy, and that's what I want to talk to you about next week. We're going to talk about the gift of prophecy. Amen.